0: The limited partner shares in the potential outsized returns of a well-planned and executed investment. But as a passive investor with no day-to-day operating requirements, whose liability is limited to the extent of their share of ownership, the limited partner has the maximum leverage on their most precious asset, their time. Now they say you're the average of the people you surround yourself with. Are you looking to elevate your network, connect with individuals that bring your average up the Limited Partner is more than just a podcast. It's a community to learn, to participate, to connect. There's no other community out there like this for Limited Partners. So subscribe to the podcast, but most importantly, join the community at thelimitedpartner.com. Welcome to the podcast with your host, Jake Wiley. All right, guys, welcome partners. This week I'm joined by Omar Khan. So he is the principal at Boardwalk Wealth. Omar, thank you for being on the show.
1: Hey, thank you for inviting me, Jake. And like I told you before we got started, I love the premise of your show. I think a lot of shows are too focused on, hey, go do this, go do this. And then jump through this hurdle, right? And I really liked your intro, which you said, you know, I think it was like limited partners that the one thing they can most control is their time or allocation of their time. So I think it's a great
0: premise. Yeah, I'm really looking into getting to the conversation. But I guess to, to kind of set the background, if you wouldn't mind, let's share with our guests you know, who you are, where you came from, where Boardwalk came from.
1: Well, look, uh, I am the product of a lot of good fortune and a little bit of hard work, right? So my family's a business family. It's a fourth generation, third generation, I'm forgetting now. And so growing up, basically, not only were we a business family, a couple of businesses. So you see the entrepreneur's journey, right? Like ups and downs and all of that. So it gives you some perspective. But luckily for me, the bulk of my, we didn't make our money here, but we really invested our money in commercial real estate. I kind of seen that, you know, hey, how it's a great vehicle, uh, not just to have your money parked for a little while, but also to generate returns over the long term. In fact, we're selling one of our assets now after close to like 60 or 70 years of ownership, right? So that's a long time, right? As a family to hold on to something. The idea was that I was expect- Exposed to a lot of these concepts. And my father is fairly financially sophisticated. So that obviously helped in the upbringing and all of that. And my parents were, I mean, we weren't discussing like esoteric finance concepts on the dinner table, but at least concepts around budgeting and what can you afford and what should, should you be doing, what you should not be doing, right? Lots of topics which I've now found out people are a little hesitant to discuss or don't discuss or whatever some version of that. So our parents gave us a really good grounding, apart from the fact that you're not very lucky and privileged and they gave us a loving surrounding environment, right? So I had a lot of that professional background. Then my Background is in finance. I'm a CFA charter holder. I work on the sell side as well as the buy side. Sell side is advisory the investment banking. Buy side is on the client side, taking advice potentially from the sell side, but then realizing some of that might not work. You got to make your own decisions. So I had good, really good perspectives from both sides. So when I moved out to the USA from Canada uh, six, seven years ago, whenever it was, I was coming into the idea wasn't necessarily to start my own business. I was chasing after a girl. Uh, we got married, still married, luckily, All right? Two beautiful kids. But when I got here, we had a legacy investment that. Generated a high amount of returns for me, particularly and for us as well as a partnership. And I wanted to shelter the gains because I was like, look, I don't think anybody likes paying more in taxes. And because of my personal and professional background, I had both the knowledge and exposure to concepts as well as somewhat of an ability to execute on potential solution to my problem, which is how to shelter my gain, right? So Because if I didn't have it, I'd just be another guy with a tax problem. So that was the genesis of how this real estate journey started. I had a tax problem, tried to solve that tax problem. Luckily, we did, and then. after that, we did one deal after the other, but it won't have been possible without all the transaction experience that I had in my decade plus experience on the institutions.
0: I love that story. It's interesting how people get in to real estate. Your piece is that you had an asset and then you had a tax issue and then real estate was kind of the byproduct. And and I think that's really neat. So in in terms of at at Boardwalk, what are you guys focusing on?
1: We do both acquisitions and developments, right? So bread and butter is still real estate. I've got a couple of other businesses where I've got operating partners they run it for us. think. The sole, or the majority, or the significant shareholder. So on the real estate side, we're primary. I looked at all the verticals, right? I looked at retail, kind of 50 there as a holding company, not as a retail, as a as a business. If you're an operating company, not that. Just as real estate retail, I didn't really kind of like it. Looked at industrial, kick myself for not doing it because it's even harder than multifamily, which is what we do. And hotels seemed a lot more cyclical and operationally intensive. So that kind of narrowed our choices down to multifamily because it offered the right combination of tax sheltering, income appreciation, all that jazz. So we started off doing acquisitions. We did about close to 200 million plus. And now we also do developments. We've got two developments already underway. We've got two more coming up.
0: It's really interesting. So you're doing development work now as well. Yeah. Okay.
1: Kind of a similar idea to how we actually got into business. Because for me, the idea was, well, how do we stretch our dollar in a tax efficient manner, the furthest, the longest, in the most efficient manner without necessarily, you know, try and create the next Facebook or whatever, Tesla or something, because that's obviously not my skill set, right? So with development, what was happening was similar to how with acquisitions, we were opportunistic. Developments as well, during COVID, we realized, not realized, I mean, I have a really good partner who's a very prolific developer anyways. We just worked together on acquisitions. We were seeing a lot of opportunities come up, and we started pouncing on those opportunities. Again, I could it have done that if one of my partners wasn't a prolific developer to begin
0: with? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really important point, is that what you'll see in this particular market, especially, especially, I mean, you, you kind of hinted on it with the industrial side of things, is that multifamily gotten flooded, right? So office used to be where all the institutional guys went, and then all of a sudden COVID hit, and they're like, let's get our money out of office. Let's put it somewhere. What's the next safest bet? Multifamily. And it's not only the home, but it's also the office now, right? That's a nice way of putting it, too. Yeah. There's a ton of money flooding into that, and it's really creating a lot of compression. So I see a lot of people starting to get outside of multifamily, which has been their bread and butter. And you know, the question, right and I think you're bringing this up, is that you've got a prolific, developer on your team somebody that can go do that work when you have guys that are just out there just being like hey well we need to get out of this because the cap rates are so low like what's next like what else can we do like oh let's do self-storage i think that's a really great point that you bring up and i guess as you think about you mentioned industrial are you looking at other things do you feel comfortable
1: no industrial like i said i kick myself for not looking more deeper into it because it's so hot right at about six seven years ago okay, right? So I'm just saying as a corollary, you know, everybody says a multifamily sort. I was like, well, there's one vertical that's even hotter than multifamily probably, right? And that's probably industrial. But I was just saying that as a context of, hey, I kick myself for not.
0: Yeah, but, and I think that, like, I appreciate what you're saying there, right, is that, you know, you don't have that core competence in that space. But
1: I don't also want to do it now, even if it's hard. I don't, at this stage, I don't want to do it because not a core competency as you said.
0: Plus, you know, maybe that ship's already sailed, but it is it is a crazy market out there. Well, let's kind of keep on that vein a little bit, what else what else should our should we be looking out for as limited partners? We're getting into deals. I think there's a ton of opportunity now. I think that we have to be you know thoughtful about the opportunity. What should we be watching out for?
1: Look, I, I know this might sound like an unpopular thing to say, but what I stress is because I invest in other people's deals as well, right? So I'm, I'm also a limited partner in other people's deals. And I, I realize that when you go online, it's the first time or you're a novice, you don't do this for a living. It's very easy for some blogger or for some influencer, because everybody's an influencer these days, right? People can't find a job, suddenly their life goes, that sort of stuff, right? It's very easy for somebody to sell you an underwriting model because it's a tangible thing, right? You enter something, you get a result. Your mind feels like you're working, right? You did something, you got a result, right? But it's, it's very easy for these products to be sold, coaching to be sold, all of this sort of stuff to be sold, right? And I'm not saying don't do that. The first and foremost thing, if or rather the only thing that you should be worrying about are two screening criteria. And this is what I do for myself. You don't have to do it. People find you really counterintuitive. Number one, you're screening for competence because it's no use if somebody's a complete idiot and they're managing your money. Or presumably you want to go with people who are really intelligent, who know what they're doing. Also, you're screening for ethics. Now, this is a very nebulous concept because, well, what are ethics, right? I mean, and that's something you your gut will tell you. You have to have multiple conversations with somebody, right? It's not scientific, right? Because the fact of the matter is, if somebody is super competent as an example, but a crook, like a Bernie Madoff, it's not going to work for you, okay? Conversely, somebody could have the best ethics in the world, but they're a complete idiot. And that also doesn't work for you. So I think a lot of people get up really hung up on the quantitative aspect. Oh, this deal has 15% IRR. This deal less 15.5% IRR. And you know, this is a business owner. I mean, these things are easily manipulated. In my opinion, you're really investing in the people, you're investing in the teams, you're investing less so in their track record, more actually all roads lead to you who you are investing with. Because look, you can have a suboptimal deal in an okay market, but with a fantastic operator, you're going to be fine. If you have phenomenal market, great asset, but somebody who does not even can't even add, tie their shoelaces together. You're going to have a really bad time. That's just the nature of the beast. Focus a lot on the people and what a lot of times what your gut even tells you, right? Because it's, it's okay to pass on a few opportunities that become really good opportunities like industrial. But what sucks is saying yes to an opportunity where your money is tied up, you lose money, any of that stuff. So let a few good deals go away if that's what needs to happen. That's the sacrifice you need to make. But realize, focusing on the people, screening them religiously, all the time that should be hundred percent of the focus and not whether a deal is 15 or 15 and a half percent Iarcus frankly in total all' come to your pocket, it's going to be a non-negligible amount
0: I mean you really hit the nail on the head of what I've found in this journey right, is I don't need to be an expert at every single nuance of how a deal is put together. As a matter of fact, that's why I'm looking for operators, syndicators that have that in the trench experience. I don't have to do it myself because if like I, I'm just going to be an expert, and I'm going to know how to do everything, then then I, I probably would. Like that's my personality too. Actually working specifically on saying like, look, let me find the people that are really, really good at this. And for me, you know, part of this podcast is is part of the, the process is I talk with a lot of people. And I get to talk with them because they get to be on the show. It's a great educational tool. But really, the probably the biggest gap that I see most people have is that, you know, the, the wealth, the financial advisor one, maybe it was assigned to them by their company. Two, maybe it was just a family friend. And, you know, that's kind of how they're used to dealing with their investment funds, right? Like, well, this guy, he's got a title and he's been through some sort of training and he must be good. And you give him the money. And then, you know, hopefully when you retire, you have enough. This is different, right? You really do have to get in and figure out who you're working with in the returns. I mean, I believe this deep down in my soul that real estate and I believe in multifamily, I believe it is the right vehicle. I think you get outsized returns.
1: Jay, I feel personally in, in the private markets, you for number one, you should be making more money than the public markets because there is a higher barrier to entry. You have a liquidity premium, right? Your money's tied up. You can't just press a button, get your money out. But that's a big pro, right? The con over there is that if you screw up on the people you invest with, no amount of the market going up is going to save you over the long term. The reason why a lot of people either, they instinctively get it, but then they overlook it is because it's very easy to punch numbers into an Excel model right? All our lives we've been told, oh, oh, numbers, numbers, numbers. Look, I'm not saying numbers are not important. We live and die by our numbers. But whatever numbers you see on a a piece of paper, when a sponsor is trying to sell you a deal, because you have to realize, and I, I include myself in this, by the way, I'm not saying others are different and I'm different. Look, when somebody wants your money, they are selling you on why you should give them your money. And understandably, you need to be a little skeptical because there is a bias there. I don't think it's a weird thing to say, but people somehow assume that, oh, Oh, the sheet says 15% IRR must be the gospel. And that's not the way things work, basically.
0: In Couldn't agree with you more. And I think that really the next question is, and this is, you know, this is the one that we're trying to unpack here. How do you start finding the right people? Because like ethics, that's not something that you can just go get a run a report on. Exactly. Competency.
1: Like I said, it's a nebulous concept, right?
0: It is. But like, how, how would you, what advice would you give us?
1: What I would say, number one, is that I know lots of white collar professionals, especially the successful ones, doctors, lawyers, accountants, business you name it—scientists, whatever, software engineers—they're very time stressed. So that's a very legitimate question. Well, how do I even go find out about these people? And what I tell people is: look, number one, before you start worrying about where you have to invest, start thinking about what do you want to do. Take a portfolio management approach to your life, and realize that old adage of your network is your net worth—that's very true. Because it's not just, by the way, in investing; it could be in the areas of health—you need a doctor recommendation. It could be in the areas of accounting. Tax preparation, you need to know a good account. The H&R block is not going to cut it. So first of all, focus on developing wide relationships. And for instance, in my particular case, 99% of the time, I'm going by referrals within my own network. So I'll I'll ping a few people, be like, hey, you know, I'm looking to do X, Y, and Z. Who do you know that can help me out? Because word of mouth referral is the strongest because, for instance, look, Jacob, you and I know each other, right? And I trust your judgment. That's why we know each other. Instead of seeing some guy online or girl online and hearing them talk, because obviously they're going to say the best thing since sliced bread, I'm going to reach out to you and be like, hey, what do you think about this person? And you can tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that info is worth more than whatever any sponsor will ever tell you. So reach out to your network. Get into the habit of reaching out to your network, looking for advice. Because I've seen a lot of times people just have trouble even asking for advice, right? Ask for it. I mean, you're not saying you're going to listen to the person, but at least, you know, put that question out there, right? And look, part of this process is educating yourself, listen to podcasts like yourself, going online, blah, 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 blah. But you got to realize there's so much noise on the internet. And most successful people, they're time constrained. So the network effect of like reaching out to your network, that is, in my opinion, the best way of not only finding the right people, but finding people who you can work with long term.
0: Yeah, I love love that point. And my advice, I give a lot of people very similar to that is whenever you're trying to do something, especially if it's new, find a way to tell everybody what you're doing.
1: Exactly. Wow, what a good point.
0: Just tell them what you're doing. And you never know where opportunities, leads, connections will come from. But you can be sure that you won't find them if you don't talk about it. And you don't even need to just be asking. You just be telling people, hey, I'm getting into this. And great conversations come up and interesting things happen. And to your point, all of the great deals I've ever found, the opportunities, the connections have all come through a conversation with somebody else. That's why I talk to people all the time, right, It's that you never know where it's going to come from. But what else should we be thinking about?
1: I think actually I take my words back. I would take your advice as number one followed by my advice as maybe an appendix or number two advice. Because what you're saying, I have realized in my own personal life as well, that is basically the answer to like 99% of your life's problem. Now, that now once that happens, they let you go to your network, you find some good sources. What I typically tell people is, even people who are trying to give me money, is look, don't have one conversation, get all hot and bothered, and money's burning a hole in your pocket. You gotta invest right now because you saw your brother-in-law, your neighbor make a lot of money. Try to have two or three conversations, and it's that all, at least that's what my mother told me, that you know, you've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. So always try to make sure that when you're asking somebody a question, number one, you don't get some corporate-esque answer, right? Oh, the beta is gonna move and the alpha is gonna do this. You're like, no, dude, we're just normal people explain this to me in normal language. And by the way, this is just my experience. Again, I come from the institutional world. Anytime anyone in any field starts using, unless I guess it's a scientist, I guess, short of that, right? Anytime, anywhere somebody starts using a lot of buzzwords, that is a clear sign to run in the other direction. Because if somebody cannot explain in plain language what they do and say, what are the potential ramifications of something? So as an example, hey, what happens when you take over a value-add property that I say 20% vacancy? Well, what happens is, number one, before we, you know, you explain the whole process. Before we've taken over, we've done our market research, it shows the market occupancy is 95%. This is an 80 blah 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 somebody should be able to clearly lay a path out for you if they know what they're doing but if they start using big words that is a clear sign the other sign is that if somebody doesn't answer your question clearly sometimes you know once you can ask a question and maybe they didn't hear it or they're thinking something different but if you just stop the person be like Look, i hope you don't mind me asking this i really don't understand what you're saying so can you please rephrase in the context of this question And if they still can't answer your question, that could be two reasons. Number one, they don't know the answer to that question, which is fine, we don't know the answer to all the questions. But they should have the ability to say, hey, I don't know this, let me go find it out for you. Either that, or they're blowing smoke up your ass. And you'll know it when you're in the middle of that conversation. So if somebody can't talk clearly, and this is why it's having multiple conversations is very important, right? Somebody can't talk clearly, they can't clearly explain in plain language what's going on, and they don't clearly answer your questions, you don't have to take that deal because there are lots of other
0: fish in the sea, basically yeah i, I love that point right because one i, I tell everybody that, that listens to the show and that i talk to about this is ask questions you know like when you when you invest your money is tied up it could be five seven ten years right ask questions on the front side and then two i think the point that you really you're making here which i, I really appreciate is that when you talk to somebody that's good that's done this They've probably been asked this question a bunch of times before, and they should be able to explain it. And it's not off-putting. To be honest, like if we are truly limited partners here, we shouldn't be all super sophisticated on it. Like that's why we're talking with this potential sponsor.
1: Well, this is the whole point. My wife's a physician. I don't have to go do her job, man. She doesn't have to do mine. We're both happy as a couple so far.
0: Yeah. And I, th- I mean, but I think that that's so key is that just keep talking, ask the questions, get comfortable. And a lot of people, you know, they ask a couple questions on the surface. They don't want to seem dumb. And then they're like, OK, well, here's my money. Right. Like, I, f- I think we got it. I feel pretty good about it. And the short answer is that like that's not the time is to ask in the beginning, not when things start to fall apart. Yeah.
1: Not just ask. Also, keep your ears open to the fact that there is some level of consistency in what the person is saying. Right. Because, for instance, like I'll give you an example. Whenever I'm having an investor call, this is up, say okay what's your strategy what do you do typically they don't ask this because it's word of mouth referral right and during the process i quickly tell them look if you're looking to just clip a coupon right say five six percent that's it that's all you want to do right i am not the manager for you we are not the manager for you now if you're looking at opportunistic deals right this value add opportunistic there's a there's a lot of juice but you have to work for that juice then i'm that person for you but remember that in trying to get a lot of juice there is a certain element of higher risk involved. So you have to be comfortable with that element of risk. And maybe you're comfortable with it right now, but maybe if you're 75, you're not comfortable with it, right? So this has to be consistent because if I say this to you on day one, and the next time you're having a conversation and I just so happen to have a deal where only you can clip a coupon, I say, oh, that's the greatest deal. Clipping a coupon, it's the best strategy. I'm the best manager in the world. For it. Well, you kind of have to be wary about
0: it. I really like the point you're bringing up there in terms of, you know, a lot of younger syndicators, people that are getting into the business, they have to kind of work the deal that they have in front of them. And all of a sudden, to your point, it's the best deal ever. And it's it's an inconsistent strategy. And if it's like, you know, similar to what we were talking about before, well, it was multifamily today, but oh, we've got the best deal and it's like an office. And let me tell you why. And you're like, well, hold on. Like, that's not super consistent with, you know, the conversation we had before. That's great advice.
1: Consistency, I feel, is very important in pretty much all areas of life, I think. Like relationships, health, business, investing, consistency is everything. Basically.
0: Yeah, and it it's, as we think about, too, like where you can go wrong, it's kind of just jumping in with like the first person that feels kind of good. Great example. I had this conversation yesterday. We were talking about asset protection. I've talked to a bunch of people on asset protection. And I was like, what's really the most surprising to me is that I don't get the same strategy consistently.
1: I was going to say that you're going to get like a million different answers depending on what the person's trying to sell
0: you. A million, right? And that's that's like discomforting to me. You know, as we think about our asset protection strategy is like, what should we be doing? Like if I kept hearing the same thing over and over again, it's like, well, this is the entity. This is how you do it, whatever. And then it would be a matter of finding the person I felt most comfortable with. Like, who am I going to pick up the phone and call? But now it's like, well, I keep having to have a, you know, I'm having another conversation, another conversation, which is great. Like I enjoy it. And eventually, like, I'll get to a point where I feel really comfortable with it. But I I do like similar to here, like if you don't have conversations with different people, you won't get different perspectives. Over time, you'll start to see Especially when you're talking about multifamily, when you're talking about an investment strategy, you in a B class, a C class. Why? Is it a value add play? Is it a you know, significant value add play? You'll start to get a sense of like what it should look like because you'll hear the same messages over. It's pattern
1: recognition, basically.
0: And then you really can start to get a good feel for who you're dealing with on the other side. Right. It's like, OK, is this somebody that I feel really good? good about like they've said all the right things like we're checking those boxes i feel these things coming in line now is it is this the person that i want to give my hard-earned money to
1: yeah and i hundred look i resonate with you there hundred percent there's no there's no ifs and buts about it
0: so you know i guess what do you let's, let's think about like what we're excited about in the current market what, what are you really excited about what do you see coming for us
1: look jake uh, I, I was in equity research for a little while, and I realized none of the experts, including us, knew what we were talking about. So uh, I'm not gonna. I, I'm not in the business of making predictions. But I do get this question a lot, especially from investors. Hey, what do you think is gonna happen? I don't get paid by MSNBC or Fox or whatever is like the business channel of uh, choice uh, to expound on my theories in life. But for us, it's been consistent from day one because look, I'm one of, If I'm in the top three, if not. Top five if not the top three investors in all of my deals. The fundamentals for our business, everybody keeps talking about interest rate changes, rate caps, supply demand, blah, 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 blah. The fundamentals for us has kind of stayed the same. We have our ears to the ground because we're transacting all the time. Based on my background, we're also looking at the capital markets. But for us, it's always the same. We're targeting anywhere between a 13 to 16% net to LPs IRR, which basically means that the D level is 17 to 18%, maybe 20% if we're lucky. IRR, hopefully, right? That's our target box. We play in a little sandbox. So we were in certain submarkets, in certain markets for a specific reason right for instance we have certain screening criteria i can go into that if you want and anything outside of that it doesn't matter if it's good it doesn't matter if it's bad it's just not something we're interested in because frankly, there's 24 hours of the day and we'd much rather play to our strengths than our weaknesses. And to my point earlier, it's better to let some really nice pitches just go away and you don't got to swing at them because whatever, they're not your competency, it's not a good fit, whatever's the reason. But what's criminal is to swing at a pitch which you know is bad, you know it's going to get you into trouble and you still swing at that pitch. So that's what's criminal, right? So we try to stay within our little sandbox. We have a little return criteria. And look, if interest rates are up for a similar size deal, right? We have to just figure out in our little box and our models that, hey, does it still work or not with the right margin of safety? And if it works, sure, we'll go ahead. And if it doesn't work, well, you know, you move on. Life's too short to worry about these
0: things. Yeah, and I mean, from my my personal background, there, there are times where you think the market is hot, there's too much competition, you know, it's so hard to find a deal. You can get quickly wrapped up in like, okay, what's the next one that comes across the plate? And you'll see people start tweaking, coming a little bit outside of like, this is what we normally do, but like, you know, maybe we can fudge it here that we can we can capitulate here and what I will tell you is that there's always a good deal out there always and you just got to be out there and looking and I think I really love your point about you don't have to swing at every one of them And you don't have to get wrapped up in the hype of the marketplace and the competition. Yes, it might be more competitive. But when you have a great network and you're working your network and you're working the deals, you will find the right one without fail. It always happens.
1: Look, and it's not just that. The funny point is I hear a lot of sponsors. Whoa, the market's too hot. It's very competitive. Well, none of us were complaining when the market wasn't hot and we were getting so many fat pitches that we were like. Oh my God, we're like at a kid at a candy store, right? So nobody complains about the times are good. Look, eventually, times are gonna be a little tough. So like, that's just what we get paid to do. So I really have never understood why people complain about it so much. Look, this is your job. I don't know, what do you want? Like a pat on your back for doing the job you're supposed to be doing? I mean, what do you want other people to do?
0: Omar, this has been an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, You got some great energy. I like to wrap up every show with a little bit of gratitude. Everybody has gotten a leg up, got an opportunity maybe they didn't deserve. And I wanna give you an opportunity maybe somebody a shout out publicly if you haven't already done so.
1: Oh dude I am the poster child for second chances and uh being born in the right family, in the right place, in the right time. So I don't even think there's one person. I think my entire life is basically a testament to the fact that when you have a loving, surrounding family, right, when your parents love you, I, there's a little bit of issues sometimes, you know, but whatever. You know, when you've got a loving family, uh, they back you, They they give you the confidence, they give you the education, they give you the tools that when you're lucky to find the right life partner. You know, when you're lucky to go to good schools, when you're lucky to have good mentors at very pivotal points along the way. And a good mentor doesn't necessarily, in my mind, mean somebody, oh, somebody told you a secret. A lot of times a kind word at the right time can just propel the trajectory of your life in a very different direction. Right. And the fact that, man, in my life, so many people have opened doors for me that, frankly, they either didn't have to. They didn't need to, but they opened the door. And not only did they open the door, they opened the next door. And that had nothing to do with my level of intelligence or my level of competence or anything like that. So instead of saying one person, I'd like to say my whole life is a series of basically things and events and good fortune happening that, if I look back now, is not just because of my intelligence, basically, or my competence or whatever you want to call it. Because everybody says, oh, you got to work hard. I was like, yeah, well... Hard work's important, but if you don't have the support structure
0: around it, it doesn't really cut it. Yeah, I mean, I I love the way you approach that because I feel the same way about my life. And sometimes it kind of comes off cheesy, but there's been some weird things that have happened that at the time seemed terrible. Then a year, two years, five years later, for some reason, that was like the most amazing blessing in disguise that set me up for something else. And you just got to be open to it. Right. And I think that, you know, what you're saying is that you've seen all of these things continue to happen. And it's not just one thing, but it's just life. Right.
1: Oh, it's a series of events. One after the other, basically.
0: I love it. Well, Omar, thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoy this conversation.
1: Thank you so much. Jake. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Limited Partner Podcast please subscribe and leave a review. If there's any reason you wouldn't leave us a five-star review, please email me directly at jw at jakewiley.com. Your feedback is always appreciated. Now the show is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the limited partner community. It's a community where limited partners can come together, learn about what best in class looks like, opportunities, and most importantly, a place to connect. There is nothing out there like this. So head over to thelimitedpartner.com and sign up. We'll see you next time.